0: fundraising everywhere fundraising
1: everywhere fundraising 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 everywhere
2: fundraising everywhere fundraising
1: everywhere fundraising
0: everywhere fundraising everywhere fundraising everywhere fundraising
2: Welcome to the Fundraising Everywhere podcast, where we give you a free glimpse of one of our amazing webinars or conferences. You can check out one of our full sessions and get a 50% discount by using the code FEPODCAST at fundraisingeverywhere.com. Yeah, go to fundraisingeverywhere.com and use the code FEPODCAST to get 50% off any of our tickets. Good afternoon, everyone. How are you? Lovely to see you all uh, virtually. Thank you very much for joining us. My name is Simon Scriber. If you don't know who I am, I'm a nobody. No, I am uh, one of the co-founders of Fundraising Everywhere and Everywhere Plus, um, and I am your host today. Uh, I will be speaking to the wonderful Josh Lee, who will be uh, telling us all about Facebook uh shortly i will be handing over to him shortly and then we're going to be back live for q a's so please do be active in the chat box in fact my friends please go ahead and test out the chess chat box Uh, If you could maybe throw into the chat box, perhaps your name and where you're dialing in from. I don't know why I'm saying dialing in from, but where you're watching from, um, perhaps put your name and where you're watching from in the chat box. So I can see you there. I can see Mandy is already there. Nikki is already there from our team. I can see Wayne Murray, uh, the wonderful host of Charity Island Discs is here. um, And I can see a few people, uh, a few other people slinking into the room. So please do say hello and let me know you're there. Remember, you can throw questions into the chat box at any stage throughout this uh, webinar. And then when we come back for our live q and uh, I will be working through them and, and picking Josh's brain and trying to put him on the spot and trying to get more flustered and freaked out. Because I've never seen Josh get flustered or freaked out. Uh, hi, Isabel. Oh, Isabel's in Berlin. So you must know Josh, surely, don't you? And then, uh, yeah, if we've got some, some people coming in. So, Let me tell you what's happening today. So first of all, we're going to have our webinar. Uh, We'll be talking about Facebook advertising and how that's become difficult um, uh, for charities, for NGOs, for nonprofits, because Facebook keep adjusting their algorithms and their rules and their changes. And it's stuff that goes way beyond me. But that's why we've got Josh in, because Josh is a bit of an expert on this stuff. So whether you know it as Facebook, whether you know it as Meta, whether you know it as the social network, or in my culture, it's called the blue devil, whatever you call it, We are gonna be learning about it today. We are gonna be figuring it out. So do throw your questions. If you are a CFRE, if you are a certified fundraising executive, remember today's webinar and many of our webinars are worth CFRE points. So today's uh, webinar is worth one CFRE point. So don't forget to get that in. Don't forget to log that um, so you can keep your CFRE. And then just to warn you as well uh, about, I'll talk a little bit about what else is coming up, but don't forget we have our corporate partnerships everywhere conference next week. Uh, You will find that on our website um, or hopefully one of the team will post the link in the chat box. We hope we're going to see you at that as well. Uh, If you haven't heard of Fundraising Everywhere membership, if perhaps this is the first time you've been at a Fundraising Everywhere event, we do have membership, which gives you uh, uh, access to everything for a small monthly amount. It is uh, much more cost effective than buying tickets for conferences here and there. So we do recommend you sign up as a member. Come and join us. Come and join us. Our wonderful membership community. We love our members. Um, So do come and join us and you get access to everything, plus some private members stuff. Uh, And in March, we have members. I keep calling it members March madness, but I think it's just called members March or March members. I think it's members March. It doesn't matter, but we have that coming up in March. We've got lots of special stuff for our members. And so there you go. Right. I'm going to shut up. I'm going to hand over to Josh because I know that's what you're all here to see. He's going to teach us the basics, teach us what we need to know, delve into it a bit deeper uh, it's going to fry my brain, but then I'm going to come back and ask some of my own questions, and I'm going to be asking your questions. And I can see, look, we've got Lucy here. We've got Charles here. Anne is here. We've got we've got a few people from Germany here, which is great. Uh, someone from Manchester. Someone from Jersey. Georgie from Jersey. We always love people from Jersey. Georgie has the best of you. Uh, and we've got who we've got. Someone from Helsinki. The names are going too fast. I can't keep up. But you're all very welcome, everyone. I'm going to shut up. Let's hand over to Josh. This is it. Over to you, Josh. I'll be back in a little bit.
1: Welcome to the February webinar with Fundraising Everywhere. My name is Josh Lee. I'm the digital media specialist here at Social Social. And today we are going to have a chat about the advertising technology landscape on Facebook, formerly Facebook, the artist formerly known as Facebook, now known as meta so today i'm going to take you through some of the changes on the platform that you might have seen or things that you haven't actually even been affected by yet but which could be just around the corner for you and your charity we're going to look at a bit of the context so why this has happened how it's happened um, how things have unfolded over the last few years to get us to the place that we're at today and then we're going to look at some actual practical tactics how you can address this within your team, within your organization, and what it could mean for your digital advertising or digital fundraising program completely. But first, a little about me. So my name's Joshua Lee. I've uh, worked in the charity sector for over 10 years now in fundraising, campaigning, uh, all sorts of engagement and other types of activations, with a specialism in digital and social media. I work at Social Social. We are a social media agency working with social purpose brands and businesses and charities. Across Europe to help them grow—not just their fundraised income, but also their brand awareness, grow their reach, grow their uh, sort of grow their audiences on social media and other digital platforms. This might be haunting you. It might be haunting your dreams and your nightmares, as it's haunting mine. Um, on November nine last year, Facebook, formerly Facebook, now known as Meta, published a press release saying that they would be removing detailed interests from their advertising platform related to what they deem to be social issues. This is a broad kind of uh, umbrella term that they use, and you may have faced uh, rejections based on this policy over the over the last few years, and we'll talk about that in a little bit more info, but a little bit more detail. But essentially, this is something that's going to have a significant effect on the ability of charities and NGOs and social brands to find new audiences on the platform and even to target uh, their existing audiences who might be interested in their own brand names. So a lot of social business brand names that could, could be removed, yours could be removed. The um, press release explicitly mentions causes like healthcare, cancer, LGBT rights, and and says that we understand the effect it's going to have on social businesses, but we have weighed up the cost and benefit, decided that it's the right thing to do. And I think that arguably, yes, it is about making the platform a safer and more welcoming space for a lot of communities and, and groups online. But what they didn't do, in my opinion, is a more thorough consultation with the sector, And so the press release really just says, here are some solutions to your problem, but it doesn't quite address the really unique and specific challenges that we as the third sector have in getting onto this platform or using this platform in the same way that commercial brands can. So I see this as a big suck at charities from Mark Zuckerberg. Here's him uh, famously covered in sunscreen, telling charities where they can stick it. And I think that, uh, yeah, the, the, the one throwaway line that addresses us in the press release is not enough. It simply just says, um we understand the effect but we are doing this anyway so what i want to talk a bit about today is the long boring history of how facebook's ad policies became so toxic for ngos we're going to wrap that up in just a couple of minutes but as you can see over the years from about 2016 onwards there's been a big shift in the way that facebook and and now meta operates around what it deems to be social issues and these are issues that are politicized whether or not that audience is being political about it. So, for example, the climate crisis is escalating significantly, especially over the last five years, the way it's talked about, the IPCC reports, et cetera. It's become a political issue, and therefore, the platform wants to suppress that content. What that means for us in the NGO space is that organizations like Greenpeace, WWF, and Friends of the Earth can't target uh, anything related to the climate crisis or put into their creative content the risk of being rejected on the world's biggest one of the world's biggest advertising platforms so i won't go through the boring history but i'm just going to show you a couple of things to get you to give you a sense of the context why this could be happening Um, external factors that could be affecting the way you're advertising on the platform. And and one of the biggest ones is the new data protection regulation, a legislation that's been rolled out around the world. So GDPR came into effect in May 2018, as I'm sure a lot of my Europeans on this this, uh, webinar would know. In North America, we have the CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act, which applies a lot of very similar high-level audience-led first-party data protections and is trying to affect that on the the social media platforms that we're advertising on. But between the the shifting sort of legislative environment over the last few years has made it more and more difficult for social media platforms like Facebook and others to continue operating the way they were. I would say there's also a growing supporter awareness of data protection and their personal privacy. Um, I think I'm based here in Germany where we have a very strong sense of uh, Datenschutz and data protection. However, I think overall, there's been a really big shift in the way consumers and supporters think about their data, their personal data, as something that needs to be protected or used uh, for them and not against them. And third is there's a huge um, court case going on in the U.S. targeting the big tech brands that control our everyday lives, basically, everyday consumption habits, everyday advertising, the way we connect with each other. These four are being uh, looked at and being fought four big tech brands are being looked at for their data privacy, for the way they've been used by um, political forces. And as a result, they are looking for ways to kind of dust off uh, their reputations a little bit. And so I think that when you add all of this together, they are trying to do things better and trying to be better. But of course, they're really all still just evil, um, which I think is a shame. But yeah, this brings us back to the press release of the 9th of November last year. And so we need to think a little bit now into the future. What does that mean for our advertising programs at the charities that we work at or the social brands? What does it mean for even down to the, the tactical information? How do we reach our audiences, the creative we use? I'm going to look at some of the advice Facebook or Meta has given, but I'm also going to add to that some advice from my perspective and from our perspective at Social Social. You're going to walk away with some tactical hints and tips, but after this presentation, there's a and a uh, for the second half of this talk where you'll actually have a chance to ask in the chat room or share your personal experiences. Feel free to start doing that now and I'll go through and try and lift out some that we can kind of unpack or talk about together in the round and see what we can do. One, uh, a couple of other bits of information I give, just looking a little more broadly across the landscape before we dive into the meta situation, is that other platforms are starting to follow their lead. So, Google Ads just announced uh, late last year, it was July, so mid- midway through last year, stricter content policy that doesn't yet affect NGOs. So, they're looking at targeting tobacco, weapons, um, those kinds of areas of advertising on the Google Ads platform. Google Ads covers AdWords, so uh, search but also YouTube and display and an app installs tool as well. So that's actually quite an extensive network. And this is kind of, uh, I would see this as an early step in a journey that could lead to the same place of trying to control politicized content or social issues content on the platform. Another big shift that we saw last year is that uh, two of the largest advertising platforms removed interest targeting for people under 18. So this probably won't have a sweeping effect on charities, but it's something I wanted to draw your attention to as well. This happened in, I think it was July and August, they announced it. Um, At the time, Apple was also trying to clamp down on safeguarding and child protection in a really positive way. So some of these changes are positive. Overall, they're creating a safer online space for younger people or for people in specific community groups. But they are going to have a knock on effect uh, on the charities and the NGOs and the the social brands that are trying to use those channels. And one other thing I'd say, just collecting from the the broader landscape of advertising on social media, is that all of the, the social media platforms are actually changing their policies or their content focus more often than ever before. And if you keep an eye out for it, it's a great way for you to pivot or make sure that you're addressing that in what you're producing. But you can also understand how it could be affecting you negatively as you're trying to run your program. So, for example, Pinterest. And weight loss ads due to eating disorder concerns, which is fantastic news. Um, Facebook renewed the ban on Trump for two additional years, which is great. However, the guy on the left there, his name is Adam Missouri, He, Missouri. he is the guy that runs Instagram. And in, I think it was June last year, he did uh, put a comment out saying that Instagram was going to be focusing less on images and more on creators, so influencers, video content, shopping, and messaging. So when we think about it, the, the the platform is changing, the landscape is changing, the policies are changing, and it's really up to us to stay on top of that and try and keep ahead of that curve as we're either getting onto the platforms or trying to optimize our Facebook our fundraising or kind of campaigning or activism uh, programs as we go. And that one down there in the right corner, this is one of my favorite pieces of news in recent Facebook history, is the Francis Haugen uh, leaks of internal documents that show that Facebook and Instagram understand the negative effects of their platform on young people's mental health that continue to operate anyway. So Francis Haugen has been a huge uh, whistleblower in that space late last year, I think it was Q3 or Q4. But all of this to say that you can see that there's a lot of internal and external factors of these platforms that are kind of, over the last five to six years, really shaping the way that they view content and the kind of brands that they're going to allow to advertise on the platform, the kind of content they're allowed to use and what that then means for us in the third sector. So this is where we're going to get into a more tactical conversation of what this means for you. And I've divided this into three pillars. This is how we think about that here at Social Social. So the first pillar is number one, your disclaimer. And essentially here, I mean, play by the rules. Can you play by the rules? Is it something that your NGO can even do? And to define this, it is about adding a disclaimer to your account that appears alongside your paid ads you're actually only allowed or only authorized to do this in a market where you operate and you have a piece of ID, so a passport or a national ID card for that market. So for example, as an Australian, I'm authorized to advertise in Australia, but I'm not actually authorized to advertise in any of the European markets, uh, me as an individual to run those campaigns this also limits the placements you can use. So not every placement can run with the disclaimer. so it's it's only a small thing, but just something to note is that you may not be able to use some of your most cost effective placements when you try and use the disclaimer. To give you a bit more information about that, when you run an ad that I'm going to say violates the policy or tests the boundaries of the policy on Facebook, your ad is added, your ad is added to the Facebook ad library. And if you go to that library, I here's an example I just searched, Greenpeace, you can see the spend level, um, the period it was alive it was live, the platforms it was live for past advertising from that advertiser. If you are running ads that violate the policy or that test the policy, you will end up in the ad library. It's an interesting tool as well to see what kind of content might or might not be approved if you're really starting out. But this is something that's tied to the disclaimer. So as you use it, you're also being documented online um, for the history of your your program and the the spend and the, the content that you've produced. And another area of, or sorry, another element of playing within the rules of Facebook is Facebook is actively trying to push businesses to something called the power five, which sounds much cooler than it is. But in essence, Facebook is trying to encourage advertisers to trust the algorithm more. So instead of creating complex, included, excluded, cold audiences, they would prefer that you set up a broad cold audience, a broad warm audience to to target and retarget. And to really use dynamic ads that kind of automatically populate based on a, a bunch of assets and a bunch of copy um which is account simplification dynamic ads etc auto advanced matching we'll talk about in a second but uh, there's a few different things that they're recommending under this power five umbrella some of this i do think could be effective for you and your charity and if you do want to have a chat about that bash it into the chat room and we can talk about it in more detail but I think this ignores a lot of the very unique challenges charities have, particularly needing to get a strong return on investment for anything that they're they're kind of investing donor money in. I think there's a bit more respect in the money that you're investing, whereas commercial brands can obviously experiment with these more algorithmic algorithmically driven uh, methods for running your ads. We, I think, want to be a little more in control. We want to know that we're not wasting donor's money. We want to bring in the learnings we have from other advertising channels, so we know our. Direct mail audiences really well. We might know our TV and above the line channels really well. We want to try and bring that into the digital space. And this method doesn't quite allow that. So outside of playing by the rules, which I mean, if you like me, you're a bit of a rebel, you don't want to play by the rules. There are ways to test the boundaries of the advertising policy on Facebook or on Meta. And so this is where you can look at your audience and your creative and test, learn, and adapt your creative based on what you see being effective and what you see being rejected. One challenge I see here with the audiences particularly is that broad audiences might limit your strategic, uh, your strategy and your learning. So as I said, if you've got a wealth of knowledge of fundraising in your other channels, how do you bring that into a platform that doesn't let you set up those same audiences? If we're all moving to very broad audience targeting, what does that mean for us to be able to report on and derive learnings from from our marketing programs and then optimize to reduce spend and really make the most of donor dollar? The other element is the weaker creative could limit your performance. So I'll go into more detail, but Facebook literally lists within their policy the way that you could and the way that you should speak about certain political or social issues. And you'll see that it really becomes so weak that it risks being ineffective. And if you're running weak creative and weak uh, audience targeting or weaker audience targeting, you're in a position where you're probably not getting the right value for money that you need from a platform to continue advertising on it. The biggest red flag I'd I'd say here, though, is that with multiple rejections, you can actually have your ad account shut down and potentially your entire business manager. And I say this as as a big warning, that as much as I I, I think you might need to test the limits of what you can do on the platform, I would also really strongly advise that you keep an eye on the uh, account, account quality section, just to make sure that you're not risking rejection, too many rejections, and not risking a shutdown. Let me look at the audience targeting. um, This slide, don't sort of get too caught up on the words, but I just wanted to show that you've got the spectrum of cold audience targeting through to warm audience targeting. Facebook is really advocating for broader audiences, so really focusing on demographics, so age, binary gender, so not even kind of acknowledging broader gender targeting, location targeting, um, rather than focusing on audiences that you might know well from your other program areas. So those basic demographics and those non-social affinities Where I say non-social affinities, this uh, kind of touches on more traditional marketing, where instead of saying, I know that this audience is a niche audience interested in charity and activism, you have to go a step back and say, what else do I know about them? What newspapers do they read? What shows do they watch? What, What commercial brands do they engage with? And it's a really uncomfortable way to think about a charity audience where we can no longer target them because they believe in something. We have to target them because of the products they buy, because essentially Meta is still commercial brand friendly. In the middle there we've got our look and likes and advanced matching so advanced matching is the ability to track data in the checkout and the at the point of conversion and pull that back into facebook it's in the settings and it's something that is gdpr compliant because it's there but it's up to you to decide how you feel about that as a brand if you want to ensure that when someone converts their donation they give their donation their email address and potentially their name and other data could be pulled back into facebook so that you can actually find more people like them It is part of Power Five. Um, I think it comes down to your internal perspective on uh, your internal reading of GDPR, knowing uh, the market that you're advertising in and the the donor base that you speak to. And then lookalikes, uh, I'm sure you're all familiar, but people that look like your warmer audiences is also an option, so somewhere in the middle there. And on the right, I just want to address this, is that Facebook is really pushing more towards custom audiences. So creating audiences based on people that have engaged with you in the past, based on your pixel on your website, but also based on an email list. And this is another one that I've worked in-house on the charity side, and we decided against using an email custom audience when that was first introduced a thousand years ago, because it wasn't against GDPR, and this is pre-GDPR, it wasn't against the current Privacy Act, but it was more that we uh, had a position against the misuse of data. So it put us in a position where we wanted to be campaigning on the correct use of consumer data and not creating audiences with that data when they weren't aware that we were doing it. So it's, it's not anti-GDPR and it's something that I think is more and more accepted uh, over the years since it was first introduced, but you can see here the spectrum of colder audiences, warmer audiences, and the ones in the middle And again, if you want to have a more tactical, in-depth conversation about any of that, jump into the chat box and we can have a chat about that in the Q&A. I mentioned earlier that when it comes to your creative, Facebook is, or Meta rather, is really pushing for you to come at that from a different perspective, and I would say weaken it. You can see here, this is lifted directly out of the policies related to social issues, elections, politics, et cetera. And where, for example, civil and social rights, your ad might shockingly talk about people's civil and social rights, Meta actually wants you to really boil it down to just a single sentence that just says something. It doesn't actually speak to values. It doesn't kind of attract people who want to support or donate. And then when we look at, for example, environmental politics and health, you can see that you can no longer really make values-driven statements about these things, but rather just make empty factual statements. And I think that obviously we want to balance the emotional draw that drives people to fundraising with a factual uh, factual and rational one. However, as fundraisers, we know that the strongest way to encourage someone to support your cause is to connect them with a beautiful, honest, and authentic story. And how can you do that when the platform is actually asking you to make it weaker? And so my big question there is, is this strong enough to have an impact? How is it that Meta can encourage this as the only way to work within their rules if this isn't strong enough to actually activate an audience and get them to support your cause? And the third one I'll talk about, which is a bit of uh, going in a completely different direction is to look at your media mix. And so here we've seen your disclaimer, so play within the rules, your audience and creators play on the platform, but not really within the rules, kind of testing the rules. And the third option is actually to leave the platform, not entirely, but just broaden your media mix outside of the meta platform. So move away from Facebook, Instagram and explore things like Google ads, TikTok and more. The integrated storytelling across these platforms really improves the performance of each channel. So really bringing the, uh, the story to each to your audience in all of the places they are. When we uh, this is and I'll just say here, this is not scientific. This slide is super, super basic, but I just wanted to give you an indication of what you could expect uh, in a sense of ease to difficulty and cost. So low cost and high cost. And when I talk about low cost and high cost, I'm focused just on your media budget. So, uh, for example, in the high cost and not super easy, not super difficult section is Facebook, Instagram, so the Meta platform. The price on Meta has been increasing, um, I would say, somewhat significantly since last April when there was a tracking change by uh, Apple in the iOS 14 release. What this did was limit Facebook or limit Meta's ability to optimize target audiences, optimize audiences and report on those audiences and attribute. There was a huge campaign against it, against the iOS change by Mark Zuckerberg, but obviously it didn't work. As a result, across all Facebook, all meta advertising, it doesn't get easier to say meta instead of Facebook, does it, across all meta advertising, uh, a general increase in prices, and that's your CPM going up. I have seen this go up a little bit, but I've also seen it stay low on certain causes. So it really depends on the target audience and, and kind of if you're using Facebook more than Instagram, for example, what pricing you might see. However, to throw a few other channels into the mix, um, in the bottom left, we've got TikTok. So TikTok has been a huge growth channel over the last two years, but it's been around for about five years now. TikTok uh, has launched an advertising solution, so an advertising studio in, um, I mean, they've they've launched in Germany and I'm sure they've launched a lot of other markets. We work directly with them on several clients at the moment. Um, The pricing is lower than what you'll see because they are less reliant on uh, the advertising cookies and advertising ID system that was in place for Facebook and Instagram to grow over these years. So you'll see a lower cost, uh, channel to be on. I've also marked it as slightly easier because the more authentic content or creator content is super effective in that place, in that, uh, channel, in that platform. And what this means is you don't necessarily have to invest in more polished or high value content, but you can really lean on the authentic behind the scenes, inside track content that you also know works in other areas of your fundraising program. And then in the bottom right there, we've got slightly higher difficulty, but still with that same low cost, um, the top on there, YouTube, YouTube, you do need content that fits a certain model of video advertising. Um, they actually have a recipe that they give you for what is effective and successful in that channel. And it is a little more, uh, I would say labor intensive to produce or a little more resource intensive compared to the Meta platform and definitely more intense than TikTok. And then I've also put in Pinterest and Snapchat. I um, have seen bits and pieces on those two platforms. I think the Pinterest audience is significantly smaller than the other platforms, and Snapchat is a much younger audience. So it could be that they aren't the right fit for your brand. However, they might offer a lower-cost media, probably with just a little more uh, resource investment in the quality of the content you're producing. So you may not be able to use a lot of found footage or inside track footage for those video-first platforms, and you can't really use image. You could use image, but it may not be as effective. And then finally, my big statement here is uh, let's work with Adam, not against him. So once again, Adam Mazzeri of Instagram telling us straight to our faces that Instagram is about creators, video shopping and messaging. At the time, every headline in the tech and social media space said, oh my God, is Instagram not about images anymore? And there was a huge kind of I don't don't know how I would define it. There was like a panic about it. Essentially, Instagram will continue to be an image platform, but it will be focused more on these other areas. And for anyone who's been experimenting with the Reels placement, for example, you'll see significantly stronger performance there. Um, Even looking at Facebook, the Facebook video feed that was launched is now one of my strongest performing placements as long as you've got the right content for it knowing this uh it's kind of a chance for you to think about the creative briefs you're putting out there is a carousel enough does it actually need to be a video does it need to do this or that sound on sound off subtitles really think about what the platform is demanding of advertisers so that you're delivering that rather than working against it by just doing what you've always done but wait i hear you say in a dramatic gasp uh when we look at these three areas i know the the, re- the reaction i know the way you guys all feel about it so for example the disclaimer the challenge might be that you're not a national in the market you operate in as i said i'm australian i can't advertise within the rules with across europe or your brand operates across multiple markets how can you have an impact i've got several clients who have run from one european office they want to promote the cause across international borders they've got a footprint that covers a lot of Europe and they can't actually advertise within the rules. When we look at our audience and creative, how can I discuss issues like the environmental crisis without using the word environmental? That's the future that Mark Zuckerberg sees uh, from his wakeboard in Hawaii with too much sunscreen. That's what he sees for NGOs and what, uh, what he expects social issues brands to be talking about or being doing. Um, and I think it does present a huge challenge and we need to think of it creatively. And then how can I share authentic stories while watering down my content to meet the policy? As I said, fundraisers, one of our biggest weapons in our sort of fundraising is our beautiful storytelling, the authenticity and the narrative elements that we bring into the marketing that we do. Commercial brands have put a pair of shoes on an Instagram feed and try and sell it, but we don't do it that way. And I don't think we want to be doing it that way. I think we want to try and retain as much of the magic of fundraising as we can while moving onto these platforms. And then finally, the media mix. I don't have the budget or support to explore new channels. I mean, as a really just a direct thing to say is you may not have the budget not to do it. If Meta is increasing its pricing, or the pricing is increasing for reasons outside of that control, but if the pricing on Meta is increasing so much and you just want to continue running a carousel ad from a few years ago, you, you're not going to be in a position where you can find that sustainable. And, and really, I implore you all to start experimenting now so that as the, the landscape shifts, you're, you're ready to take that on. Uh, And another one, I know my audience is on Facebook and Instagram. They're not on TikTok and they're not on YouTube yet. I would argue that you should have another think about that. Most, uh, I think it's 50% of TikTok is now over the age of 30. um, And YouTube has been around for nearly 20 years. These are platforms that have got a huge, nearly 20, something like that. These are platforms that have got huge audiences. Um, They are some of the biggest advertising spaces in the world, and they're offering really good rates right now. So overall, definitely start looking outside your media mix. And then finally i just want to share just these six additional comments so three on this side and three on the next before we dive into the q a but overall i've got some uh, clear sort of insights or directions i can sense in the sector now and i would encourage you to start thinking about firstly more first-party data in the third sector we collect a lot of first-party data so that we can use that to engage with and, and sort of communicate with our supporters through post through email through other channels telemarketing sms And really continue to grow those files and build those first-party relationships. In the next 12 months, we will lose cookie tracking. So we will not be able to do the acquisition campaigns as effectively or cost-effectively as we have so far. Um, It could also limit our ability to do other kinds of advertising on these platforms. So really uh, growing your first-party data and then using that in a GDPR or CCPA-compliant way in your advertising um, and making sure that you're really bringing the story to life for your existing supporters. More channels, more integration. I think we just talked about that one, but really look uh, to expand your media mix and try and find other places that offer the same low cost. If it has a different creative approach, I mean, if, if you know it takes about three months to produce a direct mail pack, think about how long it could take to produce a video that could run at a higher volume on YouTube for a lower price to generate the same amount of revenue and really try and think about how you can fit what you know works into these new channels, but also adapt to make them work for you as well. Manage expectations. This is something that um, I think kind of comes from the, the agencies and the consultants that support the third sector as well as people within the third sector. Think about what is a realistic budget or expectation for these channels. If we know that you may not get the same high average gift, don't take that as a reason not to do the channel, but think about how you can make that work for you. So if you need a higher response rate with a lower average gift, that could be your approach. Think about how you can manage your investment and your return on investment to work for you. I would overall say be cautious but please be brave experiment early to protect your programs for the future and then three more know your audience Uh, find and test the non-charity affinities of your charity audience this big change at meta means that you can't simply put in your brand name your cause several things related to your cause and then the word charity as your detailed interests we really now have to think more uh, in more detail and more With more humanity as we look at our audience and acknowledge that they're not just there to do activism on facebook or instagram they're actually there to consume all sorts of media to engage with their friends and follow the creators they like and how can we find those creators they like or find the platforms they're getting their news from and try and engage with them from that angle think audience first rather than channel first or rather than internal department first this is something i think a big shift to digital means putting your audience at the center of what you do not thinking I need to do a campaign, therefore I'll go to direct mail, but rather I need to reach this person, how do I get to them? Invest in engagement. Um, This is something that uh, the big shift to digital over the last few years has really also encouraged people not just to invest in a direct fundraising ask, so a direct to cash or direct to RG ask, but rather, Acknowledging that investing in engagement is just as valid and then calculating your overall cost per acquisition, you could see a lower, a higher response rate and a lower cost per acquisition simply by continuing to warm up and engage your audience with your cause so that when it comes time to ask for money, they are ready to give you that money and they understand the value of that donation in their, in their lives and as part of your story. Um, and better aligned with the platforms as well. So fit to the platform rather than turning a DM pack into a carousel ad. And I know I've said this as an example a couple of times, but this the investing in engagement recognizes that Instagram is an engagement place. It's where people go to find content they like, to double tap it, save it, share it, comment on it. Why not lean into that and really make that work for you rather than simply trying to push cash asks into their newsfeed in, in a way that looks like a direct mail pack? And then finally, invest in your team. So we have an amazing gift for storytelling and fundraising fundamentals. It's about upskilling for digital where you've got the fundraising skill set or bringing the fundraising skill set to your digital teams. And I know this one is a bit of a challenge at the moment. There seems to be a complete lack of performance marketers in digital channels across not just the third sector, but commercial brands are struggling to find the digital performance marketers they need. This is an opportunity for us in the fundraising space to say, well, what is it we need in a performance marketer? It doesn't just have to be someone who can get the lowest cost per acquisition, but it really has to be someone that understands fundraising fundamentals and really gets the the, the gist of storytelling and making the ask in the right way and bringing that skill set into social media advertising for charities. So with that, I will hand over to myself, uh, in the in, for the rest of the session, where I'll have a chat with the team at Fundraising Everywhere and answer some of your questions about the tactics or the history or all sorts of changes happening at Meta and what that means for you and your charities. So jump into the chatbot and ask me anything you like. There once was conference held online that helped me reach some goals of mine. The crack was great, the speakers' best, of oh, Fundraising Everywhere go, huh? Huh? Soon may we learn from home with pets and tea and people we
0: know One day to better yourself we'll learn so much and grow Hello Josh, how are you? G'day, how's it going? How's it going everyone in the chat box? G'day G'day (laughs)
2: It's it's buzzing over there, you're really hamming up the Australian accent today, leaning into it I just do it
0: for the attention, it's just (laughs) for the attention I don't even speak like this, trust me
2: yeah yeah did, fair enough um come here while, while questions are coming in there's a few questions i want to co- cut i want to cover um and and other questions that people have asked but for me it's like can i ask you a big question first which is about what what should we be thinking about this all because obviously every platform mm-hmm. all these data things they're getting like stricter so as fundraisers or marketers it's becoming more challenging and difficult but as humans as like consumers this is in our best interest isn't it like to to kind of like you said that protection of data and and the knowing that it's a valuable w- what should we be thinking i feel like torn that this is yeah. annoying and but at the same time as a consumer it makes sense
0: i would say the exact same thing i i really see where meta is coming from and the other platforms in for example reducing detailed interest targeting for under 18s it makes total sense and the press release that I referred to from uh, formerly Facebook, the artist formerly known as Fake from last November it really clearly states that they believe this is in their best interests, not sorry, their best interests, of course it is, but in the best interests of those audience and, the, and those communities that they're trying to protect by taking away our ability to target them. So I, I really understand where Meta is coming from, and I have to say that I am somewhat on the fence when it comes to that side of things. But I think a big part of fundraising is connecting with people about those, those things that make them special, and then telling them how they can help other people whose lives are affected in the same way and i I think it's just the the pros and the cons when you weigh them up it it feels to me like meta didn't consult the sector they didn't consult Mm. charities they didn't consult advertisers in the third sector and say how could this affect you we get one throw line in that press release that just says we know this will impact the, the fundraising and marketing programs of charities around the world Full stop. Nothing else. (laughs) The advice, don't, you've got me started now. The advice they offer is not really effective for for charity marketing. And this comes from a place of having done a lot of charity marketing. And I can see in one cursory glance of that press release that they really haven't spoken to the right people. So Mm -hmm. I, I totally agree. It's something that we have to be, I think torn on because it really is in the best interests of audiences and consumers. But at the end of the day, if charities can't find the right people, engage them and activate them and attract them to their cause then they can't do the good work that they do. And yeah, I, I don't really know if there's an answer. It just makes me very mm-hmm. angry. So I, I like to get angry about it and up on my soapbox about it. But yeah, I totally understand that there's two sides to this coin. well um, let, let's um,
2: get angry Josh. That's me and you stuff. Let's, let's get angry. It. So so you you talk you touched on this idea that obviously, um, we're we're at kind of, we're vulnerable to Facebook, we're vulnerable to these platforms when we're on them. And you talked about first party data, i.e. trying to kind of get people into email or into um, direct mail or phone, you know, the stuff that we have direct kind of, can you just, can you just, you know, for anyone who's never heard that phrase before, first party data, could you just expand Mm -hmm. on that a little bit for me?
0: So first-party data, as you just said, is data that you hold on your audience. And so charities, this is kind of how we run our retention programs. We learn their name, postal address, phone number sometimes. We don't collect much more than that. And I think in a good way and a bad way, we kind of have a bit of a line that we draw. But owning that data is going to be crucial when it comes to the big sort of advertising revolution that's happening over the next 12 months. First-party data is covered by GDPR. So it's if you collect uh, more than one piece of information about someone so that you've got enough to kind of deduce something about them, so their name and their postcode, for example. But third-party data, that is cookie tracking. So those are the two kind of data that we talk about in this context. And third-party data is information, it's actually like metadata, but. We can't say that anymore because Facebook stole the word meta, but uh, it's the information about the websites you visit, how long you stay on them, the clicks you make, that kind of information that can't be tracked to you as a person. And the context here is that when you build audiences like lookalike audiences, um, it's really being built on that third party data, but you don't know who that person is and you're not advertising to someone that you know. And this is where I think one of the many things that we'll need to focus on in the coming year is really making sure we know as much about our donors as possible in an ethical way so that we can actually have a deeper relationship with them and find more people like them. Um, That third party data tracking I mentioned, so the, the big iOS change from last April, that was removing third party data tracking for iOS devices. Somebody asked a really interesting question Mm. in the the chat. And I wanted to mention that actually yesterday, Google announced they will be removing the same mobile tracking from Android devices. They didn't give a timeline, but essentially this is going to even more significantly impact advertisers on Meta. It's going to ruin, Mm. devastate our advertising programs. It's going to really take away a lot of that third-party data work that you can do. By trying to find people online or connect with people who may have already engaged with you in some way, like visited your website, for example. So, yeah, that's the difference between third party and first party data. Yeah. And, and a lot of uh, charities, when they're on paid social media, they really just use it for acquisition using third party data. So targeting on, on the platform, but they don't really put their first party data back onto the platform. And that's where mm. I think there's a bit there's a big gap there. There's an opportunity there for
2: the sector. So you're talking about, I mean, I mean, I suppose this kind of relates to Sophie's question here. Sophie's mm. said, mm. <laughs> excuse me, you mentioned using email lists is becoming more and more accepted. It would be great to hear a bit more about your current stance on this and how common type of targeting is in the charity sector. So using existing mm. email lists within these social platforms actually kind of to retarget people and and get lookalikes and stuff like that you're a big fan of that are you absolutely huge fan well okay
0: again i I understand that there's a there's a line and and that we have to really um recognize that but increasingly i'm speaking with clients in the third sector who are realizing that with these big sort of structural landscape changes in in digital advertising and losing the ability to use third-party data they realize that they've got that gap in their privacy policy all of the digital like email addresses and SMS numbers they've collected over the years are not GDPR compliant for that use. When custom audiences were first brought out with an, where you could put your email in, I actually worked at Amnesty International, and I wasn't allowed to use them because we had an existing uh, campaign against uh, the misuse of data. So essentially, oh. we had a hard line that says that is kind of against our brand position on that subject. So I tried and wow. tried and tried, couldn't get it to happen. And I think a lot of other NGOs maybe had that same feeling, but without that intense brand position on it, but rather an ethical position. But I've had conversations in the last week or two with, with clients where they've kind of seen that we're now losing our detailed interests related to causes. We're losing a lot of the ability for that third party data to deliver what we need. How can we use our first party data more? And we already do it with direct mail. Like we, we punch the existing records back into a channel to get results. Yeah. This is an extension of that. It is just in a digital channel. So I think that it's it's more that I don't want to sound like I'm pushing against GDPR or pushing against ethics. I think there's just that we need to think about it a bit more and maybe redefine our position as a sector on that. Not that there is a single position, but really, I think there's a lot of potential there. And a lot of people are starting to see that there is potential. It's not necessarily unethical if it's done properly and it's done compliantly. And on the other side, we, we may not have a choice for much longer. So.
2: Well, well, let's talk a bit about ethics, you know, because this is this is a real question. And you and I have talked about this before. Um, but Tori's asked here, Tori said about TikTok, have you had any conversation with charities who are concerned mm-hmm. about the ethics of it as a platform? There have been some questions over it, and I know it causes some worry amongst stakeholders internally. Um, so would be interested to know how you've addressed those. And I mean, I, I think that extends to all socials, isn't it? I mean, Facebook, yeah. there's huge ethical questions around being you know, part of the blue devil. Snapchat, there's problems with the yellow plague. And then TikTok, will call uh, the musical depression. So, so all of these social platforms, they have negative, <laughs> negative sides to them. Do you just where, sit up and night we, coming up where, with these names? Where, where, do, where do we balance cool? that with yeah. us as nonprofits trying to lead by example, trying to be the best we can be? Should we, Should we even be touching these social media platforms? Because they're all pretty negative, aren't they?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Speaking to <laughs> yeah. <from>
2: social, social.
0: <laughs> Coming from social, social, I have an official position. But no, I, I think I absolutely see that. And I think that uh, the, the, I, I want to look at it from GDPR, but also from the consumer, like the audience and the donor perspective. They are GDPR compliant. So GDPR has a partnership agreement with the US called the Privacy Shield that you may have seen in the press last week, is now put us in a position where meta-threatened to pull out of the European Union yeah. as a as a platform. So we've got these really ridiculous conversations happening at the very top. That'll probably never happen, but uh, essentially when we focus on TikTok specifically, TikTok, I think, has been in a, a more unique position because it's a Chinese app and there's a lot of politicization around that, and okay. initially the data was stored in China, but they actually set up data centers in the US to move US consumer data over there They are actually launching an EU data center this year, and that will sit within the EU. Their data is currently covered by the GDPR uh, US privacy shield. So there isn't a genuine concern. I think it's more of a politicized concern, particularly when Trump was in power and all that nonsense. But uh, this year, they will be opening an EU-based data center, which will essentially mean that all European Union citizens and probably the UK and Ireland and other kind of Ireland is in the EU, yes but the uk they'll be in that center rather than being in china or being in the u.s and i think that's going to be a big step in sort of not the right direction necessarily but like in the direction of moving away from that fear but i think that's more of a politicized issue than a, than a real issue from a gdpr perspective it is actually all um kind of compliant but i get what you're saying that this is a lot of sort of third party data collection um tiktok apparently the algorithm it's not quite known but it reads the background when you're using it and looks at like a uh, book in the background and then advertises to you based on that but then they also say meta has a pattern for um listening to what you're saying and advertising you based on that so there's a lot of stuff that is alleged and a lot of stuff that's definitely real and then there's a gray area in the middle where if you believe it enough it might as well be real and I think that's where um as a sector can we turn our back on that entire thing and just focus on direct mail and face to face or do we need to make sure that we're not closing ourselves off to the biggest advertising platforms in the world for finding people and engaging them and yeah well
2: i mean there's ethics around direct mail there's ethics, you know when we saw that especially in the uk we saw that kick off a few years ago hugely and then face to face i mean talk about ethical decisions from the beginning so i mean Mm. i I guess what i'm hearing is that there isn't like you know it, it would be silly to dismiss it out of hand and it would be silly to to accept it no questions asked but every organisation yeah. every person has to has to find that balance like wendy said 25% of their individual un- income comes from social media which is impressive wendy nice um, so yeah, they I can't think. afford they can't afford to walk away from social media and that's that makes sense
0: And I think we're going to see that increasingly as other NGOs start to be more and more on paid social media. And and when I say that, I don't just mean the meta platform, but also the Google ads platform for YouTube and search and the TikTok ads manager platform, and then Spotify and the others use their own platforms. But essentially, as more and more of us start to not just dabble, but actually build uh, programs that are reliant on that, Mm. where does that leave us, especially when those platforms are changing their policies constantly? But I think we're going to see that, and of course, we're not going to do away with direct mail or email or anything else, but it's all gonna complement each other. And I encourage that. I really want to see that in the sector. But yeah, I think that this is a bit of an uphill battle with these policy changes. We just need to be clever about it and not get scared and kind of I think I said it in the talk, like test bravely and kind of go in there and be a bit brave with it. Um just managing risk. But yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, that's fair. Um there's a question here. Um I actually don't have the name of who it's from, but what especially if you're working with other people who are managing this so if you're working with agencies if you're working with you know teams who do this what kind of questions should you be asking to to ensure that this is all being managed correctly like what 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 would you go you know as an agency what's your inside tip for someone working with yeah if working with the social social or working with anyone what what are these questions that you use to kind of cover yourself
0: i'll just quickly say that was grania from leighton buzzard
2: Oh, I'm sorry, uh, she, she
0: bragged about being from Leighton Buzzard in the chat, but that is Gronya Callan from Leighton Buzzard. What's Leighton Buzzard
2: got going for it? What's the big site in Leighton <laughs> Literally
0: nothing. Oh, literally harsh. Nothing, the buzz. <laughs> anyway, yes, this is a really, really good question. I think um, I've worked on the client side, I've worked on the agency side, and I know that there's definitely you need to kind of manage your agency well and the agency needs to make sure they're supporting their client in the right way. And the news has been breaking so quickly over the last year to two years. and. I think if you're an NGO- uh, sorry, if you're an agency that works purely with NGOs and charities, you probably are very on top of it. So I would just say to those agencies, continue to stay on top of it. Um, but then from the flip side for the client, I would encourage you to kind of stay on top of it as best you can but really also draw on your agency and encourage them to be staying on top of that information so for example if an agency works with charities they should know that the detailed interests were removed three weeks ago if they don't know that maybe look for a new agency but really um ask them those questions and make sure that they're aware of these changes but i mean i I wouldn't necessarily say the client has to be fully aware of that or or if you're in-house really do you have the time to be on top of that for all of the channels that you work in or all of the policies that you adhere to or all of the regulation around charities but I think that I'd really fall on your agencies to stay on top of that and ask them that, that sort of to keep you updated on that information as I said the policies have changed so quickly the way the platforms are working and their algorithms are changing so quickly it just kind of yeah it's, it's difficult to keep up to date with but your agencies and the right agency partner should be leading on that with you if
2: if you're not like i mean i don't really work with facebook myself anymore like i would feel very out of touch with facebook to be honest and um and if you're in a small charity or a medium charity who doesn't necessarily even work with an agency you might not have access to that where where's another where else would you stay on top of it obviously follow you on on twitter but where, where twitter. what are there what are, are there good communities to kind of stay on top of these changes where do you get your news from
0: I get my news from outside the sector and I think that that is something that um, as a sector we are very sort of, we're a great community and we're all sort of looking inwards I feel quite a lot but so much of the the changes that are happening on paid social media and social media generally are happening so quickly and internally within the sector we really talk a lot just about Facebook newsfeed ads for example but I tend to look outside of the sector and keep an eye on the social media press and the technology press And that is really the only way to keep up to date because every single week is a completely different picture being painted. Um, And I think that that's that's my biggest recommendation. I'll actually, I'll tweet out some links to sort of newsletters I'd recommend you subscribe to and websites and and actually Mm -hmm. blogs to keep an eye on. But so many of the changes are not being sort of tracked within the sector because we kind of are only dealing with a small part of it. But actually, yeah, there's a lot of resource outside the sector. And I think it's a really good challenge to try and like, for example, be in the charity chat on Facebook but also be in, there's one I'm in called the Geek Out. And the Geek Out is this group of marketers and paid social media advertisers who really keep on top of that stuff. And so by looking at these two groups, I've got a really good idea of what fundraisers are doing, but actually Mm -hmm. look at what's happening in the outside world. And then I try and bring these things together when I talk to my clients. Um, And that's, again, what I think a lot of, if an agency is going to work with charities and be a social media agency, that's on them to really be on top of this stuff.
2: Yeah, fair point. Uh, Wayne is, yeah. has chipped in on the ethics thing. We know Wayne loves his ethics. I think looking at all this through the prism of ethics is a step forward for the sector, though. Most charities certainly didn't focus on ethics when it came to DM, phone, and and face to face. Yeah, absolutely. It was just like this mm. is a machine to generate donors. Just do it. Whereas I think like there are a lot more questions being asked now, isn't there? It just seems like yeah. we're a bit more sensible about this, or you know, be a bit more kind of educated about this, maybe.
0: Definitely, I think that I, I mentioned in the talk. There's a growing consumer awareness of data and the value yeah. of their data, and I think that we we say that from within Europe and GDPR, but also the CCPA launching in California in America, which is where all of the, the social media platforms are based. That the CCPA is kind of the GDPR of the states, and if you're going to advertise anywhere in the United States, I would say stick to CCPA as you're like minimum expectation around data management but consumers are now being protected better by regulation and then there's great Netflix shows about it and it's kind of it's breaking news to talk about data now and I think that there's a different environment around the value like a conversation around the value of your own data and we just didn't have that conversation in the public discourse 10 15 years ago when telemarketing and direct mail were like slamming yeah. people so yeah I, I think it's a different time and a different sort of mindset for, for consumers and donors around the world but uh yeah it's it's becoming pop culture data i think is yeah. More it. yeah
2: and and i think it's like D- damien o'brien who's a an irish fundraiser he's he i can't remember exactly how he phrased it but he made a great point around for for years we kind of had assumed someone not opting out we assumed that's an opt-in and what's mm, happened yeah. the last few years is, we, is we've realized that it's not an opt-in unless it's an opt-in obviously gdpr has spelt that out for us but it's also, it makes more sense that, you know, rather than wasting time with all these people who we've almost tricked to be on our list, we're actually being a bit more careful and a bit more in depth with the people who who actually have some interest or have shown some interest.
0: Absolutely. And for anyone that was like unfortunate enough to work in marketing in the dreaded days of May, 2018, when GDPR was introduced that, I, I, I mean, I'm in Germany now where they probably already had 10 times the data protection. So they probably didn't yeah, yeah. notice. In, what is GDPR? in the UK, <laughs> like, we're going to reduce to GDPR. In yeah. the UK, we suddenly had, as you said, we had this huge, um, I'm going to say shitstorm if I'm allowed to swear. And I, for example, I had one client with an SMS file that was, I think, like 40,000 records or something dropped to 8,000. But what we looked at it as an opportunity to really focus on the right donors with the right message at the right yeah. time, continue the testing and continue to try and work with that data file. We lost a lot of records, but what we maintained and retained was probably the strongest, most likely to respond. So I think it was a good opportunity for us to think differently about our first party data and really, I think, respect it much more. And I think that we can take that a step further now and say, well, what more can we learn about our donors ethically that will improve the experience they have with us? If we get their date of birth, we can send them a birthday message, maybe use that data for other things as well, like try and speak to them in a more sort of human and Human way, humanity, as Wayne loves. Um, Yeah, so I think there's there's definitely ethically how much data do you need to hold on someone? But if it's done compliantly with GDPR and you're going to use it and it's going to improve your ability to fundraise and campaign and make a difference, then I think it's the right way to go.
2: Cool. I'm conscious about time. I have a couple more questions. I just want to ask you, Rachel, um, in the chat box, was asking, what's the best way for charities to gather information about their audiences' non-social affinities? So, mm-hmm. obviously that's a big question. But what, what's the general approach towards that when you're trying to kind of get people off social or learn learn you know how else you can interact with them besides that Facebook? Yeah. Phone?
0: I think it uh, obviously it depends on budget and the size of your organization, the size of your file. But for example, in the past, I've done audience research projects using platforms like Global Web Index, YouGov and such. If that is beyond your price range, that's totally understandable. But really, it gives you a huge kind of insight, not just into their social affinities, but as I've said, their non-social affinities. So where I say that, for example, if I can't target someone because they're interested in the environment anymore, but I know that they read The Guardian I don't know they tend to shop at a certain brand they tend to buy certain kind of clothes or something like that i can really paint that picture around the edges of how they feel at the center and we've become so used to the ability to target them based on just those social affinities that we've ignored the non-social affinities which is really who they are as human beings and i think that that's that's something that we we've really dropped i think a little bit there but um paid Audience research is definitely one way to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. If you look into some advertising platforms, they can suggest additional keywords to you, for example. So if you happen to run search engine marketing on Google and you know the terms you want to reach, it will suggest others to you. So that's Mm -hmm. a good tactic as well for just seeing what else algorithmically could be suggested. Um, But I, I really think there's a lot of value in doing a little bit more upfront audience research rather than... I I think what we've done in the past is assume that our donors are female 55 plus and their name is Dorothy. And that's just a huge disrespect to our donors and doesn't recognize that they have non-social issues, affinities that we could be engaging with them about and kind of building products around like an RG product that really speaks to who they are, not just that they happen to like your cause. Um, Yeah, I I think it's a worthy investment, budget permitting, to actually do that research up front and then kind of invest in that long term. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Like it, love it. Mm. Um, we, I, I don't want to get too much into TikTok, <laughs> t- TikTok because there's <laughs> oh my god, I'm dying. Sorry, I don't want to get too much into TikTok because this is more about Facebook. But we have had a couple questions about TikTok, so so maybe just a short answer. What what's your thoughts on TikTok? Worth testing? What's happening? Is anyone getting success on it yet?
0: I think everyone should be testing TikTok. I love TikTok. I had to set a um, a limit of the amount of hours I'm allowed to be on it a day because it was getting a bit too high. So I'm down to one hour a day, I'm weaning myself off. Uh, I think it is a fantastic platform. I can talk, I could do an entire talk on TikTok. I love it so much. But we are currently running TikTok ad campaigns for other clients and we're seeing a significantly lower CPM Uh, which is cost to reach a thousand people or cost to get a thousand impressions significantly lower because they haven't built an ecosystem that relied on all of that ios third-party data so the targeting is much uh, more top level as well so i think facebook meta unfortunately spent what 16 17 years building a a platform on a certain approach to data and privacy and and kind of consumer awareness and TikTok hasn't got that burden so the targeting is much more about people's uh, consumer affinities rather than their social affinity so you can't target someone who likes a certain charity but you can target someone who likes to do a certain sports activity Um. so it's it's not as detailed as facebook however the algorithm is much stronger and the costs are so affordable right now that i think you should absolutely be testing it i think the biggest hurdle is going to be creative getting the right creative for that platform you can run like the polished advertising format but also the uh create authentic and native creator content style um creative is super effective there as well. So we are currently running some campaigns on there and just seeing really, really fantastic results. Um, One other hurdle is you need to apply for an ad account. And I do know some charities or uh, charities and and tech, the good startups that have applied and just never heard back. And I think maybe it comes down to the potential investment they were going to make, but social, social, we have a direct line to TikTok uh, Germany, but we can advertise across Europe. So if anyone is interested, reach out to me and I can see what I can do to help out. But, um, yeah, we we have a direct contact with the NGO specific team at TikTok, so we work with them on on campaigns like okay. that. So um, they, I think they if actually, you so. Test they're it, really
2: they're really leaning into NGOs and stuff. They have their they have a team dedicated to it. It's like people are succeeding. Yep. Okay. Well, that's Absolutely. no. I don't want I don't want to waste time on TikTok. But we'll, let's let's do a TikTok session in the future. That's a definite. Let's do it. Just a couple rapid fire questions, and then we're and then we're going to let you go, Josh. Andrew Bring said, it. any thoughts on the new Facebook ads? What. On the new
0: on on Facebook ads. Oh, on
2: Facebook ads. What does that mean?
0: On the new on Facebook ads. That's a very good question. I will have to Google that rapidly after this and find out. Yeah. yeah.
2: Okay. Sorry. (laughs) It might just be. I might just be kind of asking it wrong. Uh, So sorry about that, Andrew. Um, Someone asked something about geofencing. I think it was Aura asked about geofencing. What is that's targeting by geographical location, which I guess makes sense for organizations who have physical spaces maybe local hospices museums and things like that is Mm. that what people are using that for
0: yeah so you can input um depending on the the market you're in you can input regions cities postcodes all of that kind of data into facebook's advertising system to find your people physically the issue that you might encounter is the smaller your audience the more expensive it will be to reach them and that's something that um kind of affects all sorts of the more targeting overlaying you put in meta the smaller and smaller that audience gets and the less effective and more expensive it becomes. Um, And so as a result, I'm usually a bit cautious with that with my clients. And that's where I I said that that press release really didn't address the charity sector's needs because they, they, Facebook are saying, do some location targeting. But if you shrink your audience down to try and find your audience in a very specific area, it's going to become so much more expensive to reach them that it kind of Mm -hmm. doesn't end up in a, a valid cost per acquisition so yeah it's it's something that i think if it's right for you we could look into it but Mm. generally it's not the first instinct i have for targeting i would just go nationwide
2: okay interesting yeah josh this is this has been really really helpful i'm gonna let you go i know there's still some more questions there if you have time you might want to jump across the chat box and scoop those up if we didn't get to your question or your answer then please do um feel free to reach out to josh or reach out to ourselves and we'll put you in touch with josh or, or someone who can help um josh where is the best place to find you what's your twitter handle? Uh, your
0: start? find me on twitter at, at at josh lee online or connect with me on linkedin and just reach out i'm more than happy to have a chat about anything or just to rage about meta and mark zuckerberg i'm anything you want give me a call Or
2: just to hear your australian accent
0: just to hear my aussie accent
2: You're <laughs> <Bogan>. <laughs> what, um, are you on tiktok should people be following you on tiktok
0: I'm on TikTok, but I just lurk in the background, looking at Gen Z do dance challenges. I'm not quite there. I haven't, you, haven't found it within myself yet. Yeah, I do them privately that. in in the privacy of my own home, Simon. I haven't quite got myself in front of the camera yet. Yeah, mm, that's my, one day. That's my
2: goal. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Josh, thank you so much for your time. We're going to say goodbye to you. We're going to let you go. But thank you, thank you as always for uh, helping us out with this and answering all those questions.
0: Brilliant stuff. No worries. Thanks for having me. Have a good day.
2: that my friends is josh thank you very much for having uh for coming on josh and thank you for everyone uh tuning in uh again if we didn't get to your question then do feel free to reach out or do feel free to um um get in touch with josh directly josh is always very generous with his time and and knowledge and uh and we love him on here so please do um uh, reach out to him we're going to wrap up now. Just a couple of reminders from me. Remember next week, we have our Corporate Partnerships Everywhere conference. So lots of amazing sessions and speakers, including our pitch stop, uh, where p- fundraisers do pitches online and you get to see their corporate pitches actually uh, play out on, on at the event. So do book your ticket for Corporate Partnerships Everywhere. If all of these events coming up sounds really intriguing to you and really interesting, then don't forget we have membership. We have uh, membership, which you can your organization or you can pay um, annually or monthly, it works out really, really cheap, really cost effective, uh, and it gives you access to everything, including our exclusive members' events. Uh, and in March, we've March is uh, Members' March, not madness. Members' March, and we're going to be doing lots of stuff for members in that. And then just a the final thing I want to say if, is around virtual events itself. You might have seen we're doing a research piece at the moment um, uh, around uh, how charities have been impacted by virtual events, how they've used virtual events. Uh, over the last year um, um, to succeed in different areas. So do check out our social media or maybe one of our team will post it in the chat box. Do take part in that research because there's going to be some really good learnings from it and your organization can win money or you can win money uh, just for filling in the research. So please do fill that out. If you want to talk about getting your own event online, uh, we can obviously help with that. Uh, our Our sister company is Everywhere Plus, which you'll probably see a link down the bottom of the page. Everywhere Plus helps you get your events uh, onto the virtual space or they help you improve your existing virtual events. So we're always happy to chat to you about how we can do that. That's loads, isn't it? That's plenty uh, for the moment. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to wrap up now. I'm going to say goodbye. Any questions at all or if you have difficulty finding a link to anything that I've mentioned there, then please just reach out to Fundraising Everywhere and we will help you. But otherwise, my name is Simon Scriver. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that was useful for you. And uh, and we will see you uh, for our next event, which is next week. Uh, but remember, events happening all the time. So thank you, as always, for being part of Fundraising Everett. Good evening. Good afternoon. Take care.